As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The White House is backing vaccine mandates in schools, hospitals, and private companies. Businesses across the country are implementing mask Advocate mandates. Aurora Health says the mandates will protect place about possibly reinstating the city's mask mandate. mandate vaccine. Fear they'll lose their job over the mandate. If you're feeling a sense of deja vu, you're not alone. As COVID-19 cases hit a six-month high in the United States, mask mandates are on the verge of a comeback, and vaccine mandates have become a new flashpoint. Today, we'll take you through the science, the law, and the politics. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson, and I'm here once again. So happy to welcome back my colleague, Amanda St. Hilario. You've been away from the podcast for a while. It's good to have you back. It's good to be back, Brian. And uh, kids are at daycare this week. Things are good with the new baby. And it's nice to sit here in a quiet room <laughs> and record this episode of Open Record. Well, it's it's appropriate to have you back, actually, I have to say, we, uh, today, of all, because we just got the plaque delivered this week that says Open Record is a, an Edward R. Murrow Regional Award winner. And I feel like this, this podcast is incomplete without you, so it's appropriate you're back this week. Well, and this podcast would probably be largely incomplete without Fox 6 political reporter Jason Calvi, who is here with us today. Jason, you are a podcast regular, and we are glad to have you on this morning as we talk about everything going on with vaccine and mask mandates. Hi, Jason. It's it's a year after we, I mean, we had the same conversation exactly one year ago when we were talking about the mask mandates coming back, and here they are. Thanks, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Exactly. Well, and that's, I want to get back to that sense of deja vu that Brian referenced a a few minutes ago, because even though we're not anywhere near the peak of COVID-19 cases that we've seen in this pandemic, we are seeing cases rise steadily. And with that, the discussion of mask mandates and then now in workplaces, vaccine mandates. So can you give us a sense of where we are with everything right now? So I think this is a lot of this is coming from the worries about the Delta variant, which is said to be by scientists, highly contagious. And so there's a a big worry about that right now. And when you look at the case numbers, we are seeing the numbers rising right now. So just yesterday, the seven-day average of new cases in Wisconsin was 902 new cases. That's the average over seven days. And that's the highest since February. Now, to put those numbers in context, when you look back at the fall, when you look back at, for example, in November, the number, the seven-day average was 6,505. So, I mean, it was a lot higher back in the fall. Numbers are way down from where we were in in, in November, but uh, health health experts, health health professionals here 
in the state across the country as well are, are very worried about the Delta variant as, as the numbers are starting to rise. Um, you know, but when we look at the, the track record on death, those are, those are still way down. I mean, we're, we're still uh, almost at the lowest point of death since the early days of the pandemic. So, uh, you know, there's a lot going on here, a lot of numbers, a lot of data points that people are looking at. Um, I know looking at the hospitalization numbers as well in Wisconsin that, um, you know, the state, the Department of Health Services says 88% of ICU beds right now are being used. Uh, now, that's, of course, ICU beds for every, every number of conditions, not just COVID, but there is sort of a sense that, uh, you know, a good percentage of hospitals, I think 38% of the hospitals in the state of Wisconsin are reporting that they're at peak capacity for their ICUs. Again, other conditions as well in the ICU, not not just COVID cases, but there is a worry that as these numbers start to go back up, um, high, you know, the highest numbers since since February as far as case numbers of people that have COVID, that maybe more people are going to be in the hospital. So there, there's a worries all over with with this Delta variant rising here. You know, if you look back in just July, I, so there's so many ways. We were just talking about this before the podcast, so many ways to look at the numbers and, and you can get sort of a different sense of where things are. We are still well below the peak from November, which is which is great. But when you look at the shape of a curve, obviously this thing's going the wrong way fast. It's going back up. We were as low as 60 new daily cases, 60 across the entire state on July 5th. So being back up to 902 is a pretty dramatic increase. It's well below the peak, but it's going obviously a direction that is concerning. And obviously, I imagine that's why there's all these discussions of bringing back masks and and pushing people to get vaccines. So the new CDC recommendation is that anybody who lives in an area of substantial or high transmission wear a mask in public regardless of whether they're vaccinated or not. So what is substantial transmission? It's a it's seven days. If, if, if the county over seven days has 50 cases per 100,000 residents, that's considered substantial transmission or more than 100 cases per 100,000 residents over the course of a week is considered high transmission. And right now, if you look at the map of Wisconsin, pretty much most of the most of the state is either substantial or high transmission. Most of, of, of the state is, is right now, by the CDC guidance, urged to wear a mask in public regardless of vaccination status. There's only, uh, as of yesterday, only 19 counties that aren't in this mask recommendation zone. So most of the state is substantial or high transmission right now. Um, so that's kind of the CDC guidance on masks, and it's leading to debates at the at the city level, at the school level, the business level about what to do with masks. And so we're seeing the same debates that we saw exactly one year ago on what cities, schools and others should do on masks playing out again right now. And before we get into the ins and outs of the different mandates, I do want to lay out uh, in layperson's terms, what we know so far about why we're seeing some backtracking. So back when the CDC says, hey, you can ditch the mask if you're vaccinated. At that point, they're saying, okay, the data we have so far shows the vaccines really are effective against the spread of COVID-19. And they wanted to give people an incentive to get vaccinated, right? So if you know you can ditch the mask when you're vaccinated, that's going to perhaps push you toward getting that. The issue, it sounds like, is that as the virus continues to spread amongst primarily the unvaccinated, it mutates. And then when it mutates, we don't know 
how effective, depending on the mutation, the vaccines are going to be. It seems like the vaccines have been very effective at preventing serious illness, you know, the hospitalizations, the deaths. But even if you're vaccinated with these variants, it looks like you can pass it on to the unvaccinated, which might not be a big deal if you to you if you don't know many unvaccinated people. But for example, if you have children who can't be vaccinated or people in your life who can't be vaccinated for medical reasons, that can be a big deal. So in talking to some of the businesses uh, in the area where I live who have started asking everyone to mask up when they come back in, they say it's in part because they're worried about the variants continuing to develop with the spread. They say it's also because, you know, when you walk in the door, they don't know if you're vaccinated or not. It's really on the honor system, right? So for them, they're saying it's it's more of a point of ease to be able to say, okay, you know what, if everyone's masked up, I don't need to sit here and I don't need to worry about that. But what we're talking about now is not necessarily just individual businesses coming in with a mask mandate for their own stores. What we're hearing discussions about is what we saw you know, several months ago where you're seeing municipalities institute their mask mandate. I'm curious, though, Jason, because there was a big fight over whether we could have a statewide mask mandate, if that's something that we're going to see discussion surrounding or if because of the Wisconsin Supreme Court rulings that we consider that kind of a a solved debate. Yeah, so just a reminder on on this particular issue in March of this year, at the end of March of 2021, the Wisconsin Supreme Court struck down Governor Evers, the the administration's um, additional health emergency, uh, health emergencies, which was the basis for the mask mandate. And we've done podcasts on that. So if you want all the nitty gritty of the legal debate about how that all played out, we've got you can just search in our in our archives here. We got lots of podcasts, and we probably I know we did one uh, probably in April talking about the Supreme Court decision. Uh, but but long story short is uh, state law says the governor can declare an emergency for sixty days, and uh, after that he has to have the legislature sign off on on extending it. And so what happened here though was was Governor Evers and his administration had issued multiple 60-day health emergencies in the pandemic. And their argument was that the pandemic is evolving and changing. And so they had to keep responding to an evolving crisis by continuing to issue additional emergencies. The Supreme Court didn't buy that. They said, no, you have 60 days and then you have to go to the legislature. So there could be an argument now, potentially, that the Evers administration could, I, I guess, issue a new health emergency based on the fact that now we're in a delta variant you know it's 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 a it's an evolved situation now that sounds kind of like the same argument they were making that the supreme court didn't accept uh in march but when we asked the governor when the governor was asked will you issue a new mask mandate in light of the delta variant he said pretty much his hands were tied because of the Supreme Court decision. So at least this week, and I did also speak to the Department of Health Services on this issue, and they cited the Supreme Court case as far as that, in layman's terms, their hands were tied on issuing a mask mandate. So don't look for that. At least right now, the administration, the health services department and the governor, both on the same page saying that they they feel their hands are tied because of that Supreme Court decision, that they won't be issuing a statewide mask mandate like we saw issued uh, last summer, which applied, you know, to all indoor spaces. Um, But the Evers administration does 
and they did yesterday uh, issue a mandate for executive employees. So that's you know all of the state employees that are under the governor's command. Uh, they have to wear masks when they're indoor state facilities at the state capitol in areas run by the Department of Administration. Uh, when they're performing their duties indoors, they're going to have to start wearing their masks starting today, Thursday. Um, so that is, you know, a reversal. We're seeing the administration, regardless of vaccination status, requiring their employees to to mask up in public spaces. And uh, this is, again, that's at the state level, but we're also seeing debates here at at the municipal level, and, and for example, in Milwaukee, six members of the Common Council had urged the administration, urged the Barrett administration, Mayor Barrett, as well as his health commissioner, to reinstate the mask mandate when we reach that level of high transmission, which now we are in the level of high transmission. Um, but uh, when I talked to the health, when I talked to the health commissioner, she said she was looking towards the Common Council to get that done. Well, guess what? Um, the Common Council is is gone until September first. So, and I asked, well, I asked the the um, the Council President Alderman Johnson, uh, will you will you call a special session, a special meeting to potentially bring up a, a new mask ordinance? And at least last week, the answer was there's no you know, no no special session being called right now. Um, so there are two ways that the city of Milwaukee could implement a mask ordinance or a mask mandate would be a through through the legislative process, which means going through the Common Council. And again, they're not meeting until September right now. The second option is the health commissioner could issue an emergency order, and that would then allow her to uh, issue a, a mask mandate via order. And when I talked with her last week, she said she had no intention of doing that on her own. So looking again to the Common Council, which again, they're gone till September. So I don't see it happening right now, but things are so fluid and so quickly evolving that that things could change quickly here. Well, Jason, when we talk about mandates, masks are one thing, but obviously there's a lot of discussion right now and we're seeing a lot of fluidity around the question of vaccine mandates because the vaccines, it wasn't that long ago. It was just a few months ago, maybe six, seven months ago, where we were having all these talks about who could get the vaccine next and people were lobbying the state to say, we want to be next. And then when they were opened up to everyone in April, uh, the people who wanted vaccines got them pretty quickly. And and it wasn't long before we got to the point where it was more a question of who wasn't going to get the vaccine by choice. And obviously, we see the state at roughly a 50 to 60 percent clip of, of vaccinations and a bunch of people saying they either are on the fence or they don't want them. And now we're getting to the point where there's pressure coming from from government, from employers, and particularly from hospitals, uh, the question of whether or not employees will be required to get vaccines, um, questions about whether students will eventually be required to have uh, vaccinations. And, and I want to talk first about the hospitals because that's where this seems to be playing out first. Healthcare workers were first to get the opportunity to get vaccines because they're on the front lines. But there are a number of them who don't have it, who've chosen not to get it. But now we're hearing hospitals say, some hospital systems saying, either get one or you're going to get fired. And, and tell me about what's going on with that and what the reaction's been. Yeah, it's really been like the light switch is flicking on at the same time for all of these hospital groups in, in, in the state. All I mean, in, in our area, the largest hospital organizations uh, are now all mandating that their employees be fully vaccinated and there's some deadlines here there's some some but the, but they're also giving exemptions for religious or medical reasons now there are questions about exactly 
you know, are, are the hospitals going to accept when people apply for that for that exemption? But but that is all going to be playing out in the next month or two. I want to give you the, the names of the hospitals because the hospitals all over our, our area. So Advocate Aurora mandating vac- all these hospitals I'm about to mention are va- mandating vaccination for their employees. Advocate Aurora, UW Health, Freighter, Medical College, Ascension, Children's, Pro-Healthcare, all now requiring um, employees to get vaccinated. And they're giving them a deadline. So for example, Advocate Aurora, they need, they're need they asking their employees to be fully vaccinated by October 15th. Uh, Children's is asking that everybody be vaccinated by November 15th. So there's a little wiggle room as far as the timeline for when this needs to happen. Uh, right now, I think it's important to look also at the vaccination rates in the hospital setting. So UW Health they're reporting to us that they have a 90% vaccination rate. Uh, Freighter says their vaccination rate amongst employees is 66%. So you can see the distinction there, 66% of Freighter, 90% of UW Health. Uh, but now they want to get it even higher by, by doing this mandate. Now, why the mandate? Why the mandate? Again, if you look at what uh, Advocate Aurora announced yesterday, they're citing the Delta variant. They're saying it's it's highly contagious. Hospitalizations at in their chain are increasing fivefold in the past three weeks. So they say their duty really is to try to protect the health and safety of their patients, their their employees, uh, the community. That's why they're moving to uh, to mandate vaccination at Advocate Aurora. Um, but at the same time, you're you're seeing a good number of these healthcare workers, employees who don't want to get vaccinated. So just yesterday, uh, there was an organization called Wisconsin United for Freedom, and they are are opposed to the to the forced uh, vaccination. Um, they this group of people uh, they say that they represent about four thousand healthcare workers in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, and they say they're getting hundreds of messages each day of people concerned about, you know, they feel like they're being backed into a corner on this. So just yesterday, this organization, Wisconsin United for Freedom, wrote a letter to President Biden as well as Governor Evers um, saying, yeah, we're representing 4,000 healthcare workers in Wisconsin. And they're, they say they're receiving an alarming number of private messages, emails, phone calls, people seeking help and fighting for one of the most basic freedoms, control of their bodies. Um, so they're they're trying to, to to push back, and we saw some of these protests in France and other areas, um, as far as is trying to push back on vaccination um, mandates. And we're even seeing the New York in New York State uh, teachers union pushing back uh, and opposing f- ma- mandates of vaccination. Um, so we'll see how this plays out in the next two weeks. And and and, but again, they're citing the Delta variant as the reason for moving forward with these vaccination requirements and mandates. Uh, as far as law, are th- are these allowed. Um, The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission uh, said that federal law doesn't prevent employer vaccination mandates of COVID-19. Of course, there are exemptions for very for health religious reasons that that the chains are giving um and and this this has been playing out in lawsuits so i think at the end of the day we are going to see more lawsuits popping up because this is just it, it really if you look nationwide at what's happened at the hospital setting in the last week or so it's really been uh you know full court press on requiring hospital employees to get vaccinated um and you saw some big uh, medical organizations urging that and then the hospital uh, chains and, and groups have have started implementing this requirement to mandate uh, vaccination. Uh, so at the federal P- appeals court, at the Seventh uh, Circuit Court of Appeals in Chicago, they did hear a case from Indiana University. So it's not a it's not a healthcare 
uh, setting, but it is the educational setting. And, uh, and, and the, the appeals court did rule that Indiana University can require its students to be vaccinated against COVID-19. So that's sort of our, our highest level right now, the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, U.S. Court of Appeals looking at this particular case. But again, I think it's gonna continue to ramp up the lawsuits challenging these practices because as we heard in, 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 in from the, the opponents of these mandates is people feel like, you know, either they get the shot or they're gonna, if they don't wanna get the shot, then they're gonna lose their job. And so they're really put up against the wall here is what they're gonna do. So expect more lawsuits to pop up. And as what happened in the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, the, the lawyer representing the opponents to the Indiana University vaccination requirement uh, does say, you know, he, he hopes to bring this case to the U.S. Supreme Court. So again, this is all playing out across the country right now, these lawsuits. Well, and to be clear, vaccine mandates aren't new. Right. So I, I was talking to a friend who's a nurse and she said, you know, we're required to get our flu shot every year. When I went to college, there was a list of vaccines that I had to have in order to step foot on campus. The sticking point seems to be that with the COVID-19 vaccines, they're an emergency use authorization. And so it will be interesting to see what happens as we look at full approval by the FDA if that changes some of the conversation surrounding these vaccine mandates. And, and, and so we know that's uh, an approval that obviously FDA is working on, uh, Amanda, and the dis- the you know discussion is that we may see something within the next month or two. I do wonder how much that plays into employers, for instance, who are fence sitters right now on, on mandates and, and maybe waiting for that full approval before they take that step. Will we see a change? But also, will we see a change from the employee side, people who are more willing and accepting of the the notion of being required to get something that is fully approved rather than being required to get something that is viewed as technically experimental? Because really, these are approved for emergency use, but they are still technically investigational drugs. They are not fully approved by FDA. And that's what makes the the conversation surrounding all this so tricky. From the school perspective, and and in this case, I'm talking, you know, K-12 schools, what you're not going to see right now is a requirement for children, your children, to receive the vaccine. Because kids under 12, they're still in a position at this point where they, they can't get it. And it's so... It's such a new concept when it comes to children that at least for this school year, you're not going to see that requirement. And then that's where the whole debate about mask mandates in schools come in because they say, okay, we can't sit here and require all these children to get vaccinated. What's our next line of defense? And a lot of schools right now, as we record here at the beginning of August, are in a position of going, what decisions do we make for what our classrooms look like and what our instruction looks like in the fall? Now, the the studies we have about COVID-19 have shown, and they've long been cited, that it, for the most part, it wasn't something that was going to get children really sick. However, a lot of those studies took place in settings where people were wearing masks. And that was before these variants were introduced. So those are a lot of the questions that school board members and superintendents right now are tossing around. Well, and, and that's at the sort of K through 12 level. I, obviously, there's a lot of discussion about what to do with vaccine mandates, requirements and, and masks at 
the collegiate level. And, and I, 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 my daughter is starting at UWM just in a couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, so there's obviously a lot of discussion about what they're going to do. They are requiring masks. The question is what to do about vaccines. And while they're not requiring or mandating them, the UW system is taking some steps to say, essentially, if you're not vaccinated, you're going to have to be tested routinely. Is is that right, Jason? What's happening with UW with regard to vaccines? Yeah, so so you, the UW system across the state is not requiring vaccination, but each of the campuses is, is looking at, at their own restrictions as far as masks and things like that. So, yes, at UWM, they will be requiring masks, and then the, for those who are not fully vaccinated, they will have to do regular COVID uh, testing, which that that requirement of COVID testing starts uh, on Monday, and the masking requirement went into effect yesterday. At the same time, uh, we we saw a legislative committee, the Joint Committee for Review of Administrative Rules, which has all the power to to review administrative rules of the Evers administration, and as well as the UW system. Just uh, this week, voted and said that. The UW system cannot implement any COVID-19 restrictions without going through the formal emergency rulemaking process. That emergency rulemaking process does require legislative oversight. So in effect, the legislature would have the veto power to strike down any of few, uh, any of the any of the requirements. So on masking, if there was ever a vaccination requirement, things like that, uh, the legislative committee could could override and veto. So they they're asking UW system to uh, in the next 30 days to put all of these things into the official rulemaking process, which would then allow them to veto them. But so right now, this the school the schools are are trying to make sense of this vote in light of what they've planned. But the University of Wisconsin-Madison, after this committee vote, actually implemented a new mask mandate. So at the end of the day, when I talk to Republicans and I talk to Democrats on this committee, they say, yeah, they really think this issue is going to end up going to court uh, just because, you know, who's who has control over what happens on campus and and what's happening there. So likely this could end up in court. Um, but just to put the numbers in perspective, uh, at UW-Madison, they're expecting that 80% of their employees are fully vaccinated, and they believe that about 80% of their students will be when, when classes start this fall. Uh, again, UWM in Milwaukee is going to be requiring masks, just like Madison. And then for those who are unvaccinated, UWM will be doing those, those regular COVID screenings. And then, for example, at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, they will not be mandating masks as of the re- this recording, but it will be testing the unvaccinated students, faculty, and staff. So you can see kind of a patchwork across the uh, UW system as far as what's going to be asked of regarding masks or or testing. But uh, that's something to keep our eyes on. And I do know that chancellors are having a, a phone call today. This is Thursday to talk about you know, next steps on COVID-19, and especially in light of the fact the legislature says any COVID restrictions have to go through the legislature. You know, it really seems like just a couple of weeks ago was a dream when there were, you know, 100,000 people packed into the Deer District and we were all just loving an NBA championship run for the Milwaukee Bucks. And, and COVID-19 seemed like uh, hardly a concern, but uh, it's back to reality as we're dealing with these variants now. <laughs> Maybe that's as good a time as any for us to go off the record. 
This is where we get a little more personal, have a little fun by answering a question we have not prepared for. And while we usually have executive producer Sarah Smith to ask us this question, she's on assignment. So instead, we have editor extraordinaire Dave Machuda back on the podcast. Hey, Dave. Good morning, Fizzbos. All right. So uh, you uh, have prepared a question and I predict it has something to do with music. Am I right? Am I wrong? Where are we on this? Uh, you're wrong. Ooh. Wow. Okay. This is now. I'm really unsure where this is coming from. Dave loves getting to tell us when we're wrong. <laughs> I'm just totally lazy. Sarah gave me like three questions, and I just decided to go with one of her questions because I didn't want to use the brain power to come up with something else. Perfect. Although of the three questions she gave me, there was one I immediately went for because it's more on brand for me because I come constantly complain and moan about everything and so this is definitely this question is definitely on brand for me so the question is what word or phrase do people use that you can't stand Oh, oh boy. we could go on. Can, can I? Can I go first? <laughs> <laughs> Please, I love. Jason is like so uh, never complains. So I love when Jason complains because it happens like once a year. Uh, okay, so the the phrase that I just and I, okay, I I I still I really like all you people. Uh, if you use this phrase, <laughs> if you use this phrase, I, I but I just I don't. It doesn't it doesn't have any meaning. It doesn't have any value or meaning or anything. It is what it is. Uh, and I'm sure Brian, Amanda, I'm sure you guys use it, right? I'm sure you use it on the weekly basis. But what does it mean? It is what it is. I, I try not to use it just because it's so overused. I think that's when you don't have anything else to say. You just go with it is. Obviously, it is what it is because <laughs> that's what the statement means. <laughs> It's, well, I like, think it's it, an incredibly lazy – it's a lazy way to say there's nothing we can do about it, but it takes no extra effort to just say there's nothing we can do about it. That, that's right. Okay, so that, that's that's good. That explains – because when I hear it is what it is, I have no clue what it means, but I guess the meaning is there's nothing we can do about it. But, hey, maybe there is something we can do about it, right? So let's not let's not give up the fight here. Let's, let's figure this out. Even- and if you do you- – even if you Jason's use- complaint, it has a positive spin. <laughs> <laughs> and, and let's just say this. If you do use it is what it is, you know, I've still, I still want to be friends, but, uh, <laughs> but just, I mean, it, it doesn't have any meaning. So yeah. why, why use the word? Why use the phrase? Sorry. Amanda, how about you? Oh, I have a long, li- I mean, there, there are a lot of things where it's words or phrases that have been butchered, right? So, like, instead of supposedly, when people say supposedly, or <laughs> instead yes. of regardless, irregardless, which is not a word. Um, I, I have a lot of, like, journalism ones. I can't stand the word blaze. If someone says blaze instead of a fire, it's a fire. Although blaze pizza, very good. That's the only time <laughs> That's I like different. blaze. But otherwise. Or when we're talking about... Can we get a sponsorship out of that? I'm sorry. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Already happened. Um, no, when or when um, speaking about people who live like neighbors, when we say residents, it's like they're are they all young doctors um, or <laughs> uh, officials, unless you're referring to a referee. Uh, and in, in some cases, it's, you know, it, it's just being snarky. In some cases, it's because there's, you know, actual journalistic concern about not having accountability in your reporting, right? So you say officials, just tell us who you're talking about. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of this like broad catch-all phrase. So those are those are the ones I think about the most just because, you know, for work every day you, you see them. 
Um, but supposedly and irregardless are nails on a chalkboard. Well, I guess it is what it is, Amanda. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't, so I have to say I'm struggling because, and I told Sarah this last week, I said we get on these and I can't think on the spot of something really good and then we get off the podcast and I go, it's like like, uh, uh, George Costanza in Seinfeld with Jerk Store. You remember that? He's like, I should have said Jerk Store. Anyway, I can't think of them off the top of my head so i'm gonna let dave go because i know dave's got one and then i'll have something ready when dave's what's the phrase or the thing people say that you hate dave oh well like like amanda there's a lot of them but i'll go with something a little more topical sort of related to having the bucks season just end um you'll hear it like nba like analysts announcers and things they say the phrase score the basketball and it I'm like, well, no, no kidding. Score the basketball. Is he supposed to score his shoe? <laughs> you know, Giannis is really, you know, he had a great game. You know, he's, he's going to have to score the basketball in the third quarter. No, he's going to have to score in the third quarter, not score the basketball. I, I can't understand the, the logic behind that at all. Well, since you're springing up the Bucks in basketball, I, I notice I, now I admit I'm not a lifelong NBA fan because I grew up in St. Louis and we didn't have a team. The last NBA team in St. Louis was the St. Louis Hawks. Now the Atlanta Hawks. And that was a long, long time ago before I was born. But I've watched enough basketball to know that I had never heard this phrase used so routinely, maybe never heard it even at all until very recently. But throughout this NBA playoffs, the announcers repeatedly said someone was making a rim run. When they were driving to the basket, he makes a rim run. When did, where did rim run come from? Because I'd never heard that before, and it seems like it's suddenly become a thing uh, out of nowhere. I mean, I, I'm sure Kareem, back in the days, Lou Alcindor was making rim <laughs> runs, but we never called it that. Where, where did that come from? That, that's a good point. I, don't, I, I had never heard that until recently as well. I feel like there's going to be so many of these. I'm going to be mad, Dave, when we get off the podcast. But when it comes to just <laughs> words people misuse, and this one isn't one they say, but it drives me crazy because I see it constantly on social media. It's just if you can't spell lose. Lose has one O. Loose has two O's. If you spell lose with two O's, I just I can't even read it. I can't look at it. I have to look away. It drives me crazy. But I think mostly because I can't believe how many people spell lose with two O's. I guess they're L-O-O-S-E-R-S. Oh, see, now I'm not I'm not Jason because that's me. I know it's um, so bad that Jason went first because it makes the rest of us look so mean. Because <laughs> it's like, Jason, here's Jason saying, I still want to be your friend if you use this word. And I'm like, I don't want to be your friend if you use this word. I'm going to come up with more when we're off of this. And maybe I'll just bring them up next week because I'll be like, you know what I should have said last week? That'll be a new a lot segment. Of them, but- what I should have said last but week. That Actually, that's not a bad idea. We have the open record or off-the-record question followed by what I should have said last week. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a question you'd like to submit for our off-the-record segment or a topic you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, an issue you think we should investigate for Fox 6 News, send us an email to fox6investigators at fox.com. Again, that is fox6investigators at fox.com. Jason, thanks for being here this morning. And Dave, thanks for giving us an excuse to complain. As always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. So in addition to editor extraordinaire Dave Machuda, we have producer Pete, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't done that already. You can find it pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. With that, I'm Amanda St. Hilaire. And for Brian Polson, we will be back next week. <laughs>